0: King of kings, Lord of lords. Okay, t- today we're going to be on uh, page 1390 of the church Bible. 1390 will be the first chapter of First Peter. Uh, real quick, um, I feel like we're supposed to pray for the families of those who lost uh, loved ones in the uh, air show crash yesterday. I don't know if everybody's heard about that, but in Dallas there was a, a commemorative air force. Um two planes collided in midair and there's a lot of families uh, at least six or seven families anyway as far as we know right now that were pilots and crew on those two planes So, uh, and there was a lot of people watching this happen so nonetheless we'll pray for all involved there that the God will be there with that with those families and, uh, and his name will be lifted up in that difficult time and our little Presley Joe our uh, Brian and Brooks four year old little girl has been struggling with a viral thing we think it's how viruses are they're hard to know and test for but uh, they think uh, this morning sounds like she's doing a little better She's been struggling over a week uh, with this and doctors have not really come up with a lot of answers and so we pray God will uh, continue to heal her and that he would direct the doctors to know or he'd just get her over this you know just get her through it so we'll lift up Presley Joe this week we're gonna be uh, reading about our amazing heavenly inheritance this morning Uh, it's going to be first peter chapter one verses three through nine blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls amen let's pray together this morning <clears throat> father we are blessed to be able to come uh, before you have the privilege lord even come and give you praise and honor the one that would create all things that we know and even some that we don't understand Lord uh, you're so amazing you're so uh, the song says it so well uh, you are do all majesty honor and praise and glory because you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings father we we do lift up um, these families that were apart and uh, lost loved ones in this tragedy yesterday God, we know who you are. We know how you work in these situations and how, Lord, you can uh, pick up what's left and, Lord, you can make uh, good of it and make the best, Lord, that we can imagine. So I pray, God, that you would do that for these families and these that even were there, Lord, if there's questions in their mind, that you would show up to them and help them realize that we're all here for a while and what matters is this heavenly inheritance that we read about today. So, Father, we bless you. We pray for little Presley Joe. We thank you for helping her to be better this morning, and we pray your mighty hand would touch her and continue to heal her. And, uh, Lord, if need be, you would give these doctors the wisdom that they need uh, above even anything and any experience that they have, Lord. Pray that you would direct that uh, as you can. We bless you. We come before you with all honor and humility and praise as we come this morning. And we just cry out that you and your spirit would reign and rule and teach us today, Lord, more about this heavenly inheritance. We bless you. We thank you for all those here. We thank thank you for those that, uh, Lord, will bring us truth later, will serve, and we thank you for this time we can come and honor you with our hearts. Our complete, I pray we completely worship you undemandedly this morning. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
1: before there was light walked across the pages of time he who made every living thing behold him he who heard humanity's cry left his throne to wake as a child he became like the least of us Behold Him, Jesus, Son of God, Messiah.
2: How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity
3: good morning. It is awesome to be with y'all today. I am um, I am humbled by this word and that that is something that I've heard uh, this morning in the scriptures that the scripture that we read the songs that we have sung and um, and by the prayers um, and I join I join in in humility with this word today. Um, We'll begin in Philippians chapter 2, so if you would turn there with me on page 1349, Philippians chapter 2. So a few weeks ago, um, Abigail had a social studies test. And so um, Rebecca and I studied with her again and again, and it was a pretty comprehensive test. It was, it was a lot, a lot of dates, a lot of people, um, a lot of big concepts. And among them, um, we, we did flashcards on things like constitutional republic, culture, heritage, and rights. Um, yeah, it seems like a lot for a third grader, doesn't it? And um, one, of, one of these terms really stood out to me each time we studied. And uh, the Lord brought it back to me yesterday. And so I asked yesterday, Abigail, if she remembered the definition for the word rights that we studied. And it took her a second, and um, she said... You have the freedom to act and think any way you want. And that's exactly what was on the flashcard. You have the freedom to act and think any way you want. I understand the point of this exam was probably to help these kids to study and memorize these, these really complex ideas that ultimately the teachers would allow them to. To kind of become in their mind and then to be molded into what, what they really mean. Each time we studied this word rights, though, and each time I looked at these, these words on the back of this flashcard, I considered the danger of simplifying this incredibly complex understanding. That as Americans, as citizens of a great nation blessed with independence, We have the freedom to act and think any way that we want. There's a contrast to the freedom that we have as Americans and the freedom that we have as believers. As Americans, our freedom essentially means that we are in charge. Does it not? We are no longer as individuals under the authority of tyranny in England being forced to think spiritually one way or politically another. We're in charge. But as believers, our freedom means that God is in charge. So I'm going to warn you that today's message does not pair well with the American dream, with rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, acting and thinking any way that we want. I believe that we're to be challenged by the lord's word in philippians radically confronted by the attitude of our savior so let's read together we'll we'll read in verses 5 through 11 today of philippians chapter 2. paul says this let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus who being in the form of god did not consider it robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming into the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth that, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage is one of the most significant scriptures to understand the divinity of Jesus, to understand how Jesus was fully God. And therefore it is highly debated there are many, many opinions out there about what this passage means, and it's also critical for us to accept our identity as Christ followers, which is equally debated. What seems common for most is that this passage receives attention as a theology all of its own, that is kind of taken from this letter to the Philippians and set off over here to understand Jesus. Or as a popular guide taken out of this passage over here for believers to understand how we are to mimic or imitate Jesus. I believe that one cannot be understood apart from the other. Did I say that right? One cannot be understood apart from the other. We can't just take this passage out of the scripture and make it a grand hymn or a grand theology, and we can't just take it and make it a how-to guide for silly believers about how to follow Jesus. Both are done. And both weaken the testimony of Jesus on the cross, And they weaken believers because they allow us to pick and choose what seems like the mind of Christ, how to be humble and kind and like the hands and feet of Jesus. So today we're going to look at this explanation of Jesus' divinity, which is so critical for us to fathom this commandment to Jesus' mindset. When Paul says, let this mind be in you in verse 5, it's not a passive invitation. He's saying this is the only mindset for believers to have. It's interesting here in verse 5 that when, when Paul says this is the mindset we're to have, he says in Christ Jesus. Paul has mentioned Jesus' name about 14 times up to this point in his letter to the Philippians. He's called him Jesus Christ, and he's called him Christ, and he's once before called him Christ Jesus, but this is significant because we know that Jesus' name was not Mr. Christ. He's not Jesus' first name, Christ's last name, but instead This name Jesus was the earthly name that he was to be given. This name that does mean salvation. But Christ is his function. It is his title. Christ means anointed one. It means the one whom God sent to earth for this purpose. And so when Paul does this, he begins by talking about Jesus here with his divine name. His name that's not for the purpose of mankind to save us, but his name that is according to God's purpose as anointed one to come to earth in such a fashion. Paul orders the Lord's name here to communicate his heavenly function first, then his earthly title. As I studied this passage again and again, I asked the Lord how to even... How to even look at this to teach this place because it's, it's so complex and many get drug off onto all these grand philosophies and ideas and, and little jots and tittles about what it meant. And the Lord said to start understanding these three words that seem so similar form, likeness, and appearance. Paul says in verse 6 who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. These are three words in English that that could signify similar things, but they are very distinct in the Greek. The first word that we read is form comes from the Greek word morphe, which it explains the outward nature, the outward form that embodies the inner substance. So what is visible outside is consistent with what is true inside. So in verse 6, Paul says that Jesus was in the form of God. That means he was in the form of divinity. What was outwardly seen was true of his inward nature. See, when Jesus is in the heavenly realm, those who see him know who he is and know what they're seeing outwardly reflects what is inwardly true. Paul tells us in verse 6 that the form of God, in the form of God, excuse me, Let me me just read this. In verse 6, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This word robbery is is pretty loaded. It, It can mean grasp or it can mean to clutch. It can mean to hold on to. The meaning here is that Jesus wasn't trying to achieve equality with God because he was equal with God. See, he had equality with God, so there was nothing for him to try and achieve or to hold on to. This word to grasp or to to rob, it also has the sense of advantage or exploitation. So as to say, Jesus wasn't disappointed giving up his stature. He didn't see this equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, verse 7 tells us that he, he made himself of no reputation. The Greek phrase here more literally says he made himself nothing. Some translations say he emptied himself. Some use this understanding completely inappropriately to say that Jesus was no longer God. However, this is a complete misunderstanding of this phrase. In fact, Paul uses this word elsewhere, kind of in a a metaphorical meaning. So this doesn't mean that Jesus didn't possess the qualities of God, nor that he was less God. Instead, Jesus didn't hold on to these things as the most important. He gave them up. He gave them up as most important. The result then was then as verse seven says, he took on the form of a bond servant. As if by allowing these things to be less important, the result is that Jesus took on this form of a bond servant. You see, these two things are opposed and in contrast to one another, the form of God in the form of a bondservant. This word took is a synonym for the word grasp we read in verse 6, or robbery. So it's to say that Jesus didn't grasp and clutch these things of godlike form, but instead grasped and took on the form of a bondservant. To say that Jesus didn't forcefully maintain this form as God, but let it go to take on the form of a bondservant. I've been thinking about this word all week because it's such such an incredible picture, but it's really challenging to, to grab a hold of this because this is something we cannot relate to, right? For we are not God. We do not have this form of God. And we don't really have this form of bondservant unless the Lord has allowed us to take it on. But I believe what the Lord showed me is that this form relates to status and posture. If you imagine a king and his servant beside him, right, the king is the king. The king does as the king wishes because the king is the king. And the servant stands Beside the king, waiting on the king's order. Status and posture. Jesus chose to leave the form of king and take on the form of a servant. It didn't change who Jesus was, but it changed what his focus was. To understand this, we consider Jesus' own words that the Son of Man did not come to serve, excuse me, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as ransom for many. The next word that we see is the word likeness. We see this in in the conclusion of verse 7, and coming in the likeness of men. This word likeness is a really interesting word that's not commonly used in the New Testament. And it means to be made like something else. So in a sense, it's not an original. It is like something. So we read that Jesus came in the likeness of men or mankind. It it means humanity. And this word relates to comparison. So in a sense, even in this very description, Jesus is being compared to man, but still different. To say that Jesus came in the flesh, similar to being human. This word doesn't describe, though, the inside parts. What is true inside? Only what is seen outside. So in flesh, in physical likeness, Jesus was made to look like us. But inside, he was very different. Therefore, we might consider how Seth was made in the likeness of Adam. Right, this has been a big place of study for us on Friday nights, understanding that while Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, they had their own way. They fell into sin. They chose to leave the spiritual likeness of God, so to speak. So Seth, as Adam's son, was created in Adam's image, in this image of Adam in sin. So like the likeness Jesus was made in, he was made outwardly to take on the likeness of Adam, but not the inward nature. Paul uses this specific word to stress the difference between Jesus and others made of flesh and blood. So another way to think of this is that the outward likeness of mankind was added to the deity of Jesus. Okay? Jesus still remains king of kings and the Lord of lords inwardly. But outwardly, he takes on this appearance of humanity, of flesh and and of blood. Jesus became human in the same sense that makes others human. However, he did not behave in the same way humans behave. I I know these things are challenging, but they're so important that we don't get them misguided, that we don't see Jesus as just walking like a man like one of us, as a man with the same natures and the same curiosities, as the same desires for sin and for wickedness, Instead, that Jesus came in the closest way he can to us to put on flesh and bone, to put on this same skin, so to speak, as us, while still being fully God. The final thing that we're told is about his appearance. In verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man. This is the simplest explanation here of these different, different um outward appearances and it really just means to be a male this is the word here in verse verse 8 to say he was a, a, of gender as a male so there, there's a recent movement that has been started I've Seen commercials for it it's called he gets us I don't know if you watch any streaming service you might see these commercials that that give these situations in life Um, they describe things like politics and depression and anger and the like and at the end of the commercial it says jesus he gets us and i've been confused and 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 just unsure what it is meant to say but I looked at their website, and I'm, I'm sure what it's meant to say is that Jesus gets us. He's with us in our stuff because he was on earth in our stuff. And that's a complete fabrication, a complete half truth of the Jesus that Paul is describing here. It's why we've got to understand the difference between walking in the flesh and living according to the flesh. Jesus was here on earth as a man, but Jesus was here on earth fully God. In describing the form and the likeness and appearance of Jesus, Paul explains that Jesus had to to leave what Jesus had to leave to relate to mankind. He's describing how Jesus had to leave the heavenly realm to relate to us, but what he's not saying is that he was one of us. I've been thinking about this reality that Jesus was in the heavenly realm where he is accountable to no one. He is fully God. It's not until Jesus leaves that place that he is to be obedient, right? Because when he is in the heavenlies, he is completely one with God. So the next thing Paul does is he he tells us more about the mindset of Christ Jesus. In verse 8, part B, we read that he humbled himself and he became obedient. Obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We learned about this word for humility last week. Paul uses it here, he uses it in verse 3 to describe how we are to lower ourselves that we might um, relate to one another, relate to others in the church. He says that that's the type of mindset that we're to have, not high and lofty, but lower than others. But here, he talks about how Jesus willingly chose to humble himself. And I thought about all the ways that Jesus really humbled himself just to be here on earth. It's easy to read that and just go, oh yeah, he just, he kind of abdicated the throne, so to speak. He left his rightful place in heaven. Humility was not something that Jesus was meant to experience. Think about that. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his rightful place is in the heavenlies, where he is surrounded by angels singing his praise and his honor. Humility... Being lower than, being less than is not something that is in his nature. Does that make sense? He had to leave that nature in a sense to be here on earth. He was humble in that he took on the form of a man and not even an angel. He was humble in that he was born into this obscure, oppressed world. He was humble in that he was born into poverty among a despised people. He was humble in that he was born as a child instead of appearing as a man. He was humble in submitting to the obedience to parents as a child. He was humble in the long wait to launch into his public ministry. For 30 years, Jesus waited until the Lord's will would begin to be done in his ministry. He was humble in the companions of disciples that he chose. He was humble in the audience he appealed to in the way that he taught. He was humble in the temptations he allowed and endured. In the weakness, hunger, thirst, and tiredness he endured. In total obedience to his heavenly father. In his submission to the Holy Spirit. In choosing and submitting to the death on the cross. In the agony of this death, in shame and mocking and public humiliation of his death, he endured the spiritual agony of being a sacrifice on the cross. Jesus made himself to be humble, not for our sake, but for the Father's sake. We can't simply reduce this to a single action. He left all the grandeur and trappings in heaven, which he is due, to come down to this horrible place that we call home. He sat by and listened to others defame his father's name, knowing fully well the truth of who his father was. He listened to earthly people like a mother and father, and leaders of the government who were led by the flesh and patiently awaited the opportunity for the Lord's purpose. This is amazing. In verse nine, excuse me, in verse eight, Paul goes on to say that he humbled himself and became obedient. This does not mean that Jesus was obedient before this, but that his obedience was now made manifest in the fullest way and ultimately in death. See, it's not something that we often imagine, but Jesus was in the heavenly realm with the Father and the Spirit, who are three in equality, We're not told this, but I don't imagine that God the Father is just kind of pointing Jesus and the Spirit around heaven, telling them what to do and wait on him. See, there are others to wait on them. But they were three co-equally God. But when Jesus leaves that place, when he empties himself of his rights, so to speak, he takes on this form of a servant. And he chose to be obedient to the Father Paul adds to this statement death on a cross in the Roman world crucifixion was the cruelest form of execution and rarely did Roman citizens even experience this type of conviction for even high treason this crucifixion was reserved for the lower classes such as slaves See, even in his death, Jesus was accepting this fate as a servant. A death that was reserved for the very lowest, very most humble individuals. Jesus' obedience led him from the highest position that we can fathom to the lowest position here on earth. To summarize these verses, Paul describes the divinity of Jesus and how he selflessly denied his rights. To say first that he made himself nothing by becoming human and being a slave. And second, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto this slave's death. So this is the mindset that Paul tells us that we ought to have. This is the Christ and the Jesus that we are called to follow and to imitate. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from the church's Bible, page 1311. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, page 1311. read together in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 23 through 31. Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that But of him you are called in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories let him glory in the Lord. See, we often accept this understanding of the gospel and we think it only right that we should imitate Christ. But imitating Christ in the way to which we are called is completely contrary to mankind's nature. It is completely contrary to popular opinion. It is completely contrary to every fiber of rights and entitlement that we have as Americans. Our glory, my friends, is not to be in ourselves, but in the Lord. Likewise, our freedom is not to be for ourselves, but unto the Lord. Turn back with me to Philippians chapter 2 on page 1349. Back to Philippians 2 on page 1349. This week as I've read this passage again and again, I've been really struck by what Jesus has actually done here, what he has actually left that we kind of diminish. It's truly difficult to comprehend, yet Paul says that this is exactly what we are to do. What could he mean by that? What could he mean by that, that we are to, in a sense, leave the heavenly places? That we're to leave what we're entitled to, what is due us. Initially, I thought this might be more plausible for us to do since we're not living in the heavenly realm. Since we're only here on earth. But I believe Paul describes this for a reason. This week, the Lord has shown me that our situation is precisely the opposite of Jesus. For in form, which you remember describes the outward place, the outward expression of what is inwardly true, I think we're oftentimes confused about our form, our status, and our posture. For we act as if we are kings, and we have contempt for those who truly serve. Literally, we are robbing God for equality exploiting him for advantage see we've given ourselves some kind of reputation opposite of Jesus we have made ourselves something we have added and attributed to ourselves unduly we have put on the characteristics and qualities only available to God See, this is quite the opposite of Jesus who put on the form of a bondservant. We have taken on the form of a king or of a queen. This word likeness, you remember, it means to be like something else. It also gives a comparison. We have not been made in the likeness of Christ, though many teach that, but in the image and likeness of Seth who was made after his sinful father, Adam, and his sinful mother, Eve. This is why we have to be born again. We're not just flesh and blood like Jesus was. We're evil and wickedness in our inner parts. Our inward nature is indeed consistent with our outward form. We are quite the opposite of Jesus in terms of our likeness. And any attempt to overemphasize Jesus humanity being just like us is only a rationalization that is completely futile and empty. Have you you ever wondered why humility and obedience are so difficult and challenging? I think Paul would say it's really hard to act like a servant when we've made ourselves God's. Today, acting Christ-like is a relatively popular idea. I say relatively because people of the world pick and choose what causes them to connect with the gospel of Jesus. Social issues like equality and hunger. Character ideals like kindness and compassion. Relationship goals like love and tolerance. These all seem like the Jesus that's easy to follow, don't they? They appear right outwardly while leaving the inward parts unchanged. But the way Paul says we're to be like Jesus is to follow his footsteps spiritually unto the death of ourselves, unto the death of our false godness, unto the death of our self-entitlement, unto the death of our man-made reputations, Unto the death of our God-given abilities. Unto the death of our royalty by association. And unto the death of our originality. These spiritual footsteps will lead us to the feet of Jesus. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10 in the church's Bible on page 1196. Luke chapter 10, page 1196. Luke 10 is a familiar story we'll read in verses 38 through 42 now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village this is Jesus and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus feet and heard his word but Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, you do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell to her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. Excuse me, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. See, the church is filled with many Marthas who are worried and troubled about many things that they have perceived as service but one thing that Jesus said was good and that was that the sister laid at Jesus feet washed his feet with her hair truly lowering herself as a servant we are called to be at the feet of Jesus to be made lowly in order to be obedient. This is the picture of the mind of Christ. We'll turn back to Philippians chapter 2 one more time on page 1348. Excuse me, 1349. So we're going to read just a few more verses that we've read that describe the result of jesus's humility and obedience let's read verses 9 through 11. therefore god also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. There is so much that is described here that we could spend so much time. But what the Lord, I believe, showed me to say is this, that God's nature is reward and blessing for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who are truly obedient and truly humbled, who have gone through this process of making themselves of no reputation, of no name, of no power, of no strength, of no identity of their own, who have forfeited what they believe they are due and entitled to. For those who are called according to his purpose, God's reaction is reward and blessing. I pray today that we would receive this stern invitation from Paul to have this mind of Christ. Whatever places that we are holding on to, that we are grasping, that we are elevating above the King of Kings, that we would let them go freely and liberally, and that we would grab a hold of the things that God has designated for us. If there is any place that you would like the elders to join with you, I pray that you would not miss this opportunity to come together in fellowship, to seek the Lord's purpose. In Jesus' name, that every knee must bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.
4: Sure. Awesome.